Welcome to the first part of this epic collaboration between To The Future and our good friends from the Total Space Network. We have been looking forward to working with them together for a long time now. Of course, you will find the link to their podcast as well as the link to their YouTube channel in the video description below. So the main topic of our collaboration is humans in space. And we are going to do seven episodes in total for this video series. Yes, yes, seven. Because why not? We enjoy working together, right? Anyways, we are going to start from the earliest days of human spaceflight, back where it all started. In the late 50s and early 60s with the Vostok program, Mercury, Gemini, and Soyuz. Then Total Space will air the next episode about the moon race with the epic Apollo program and the Soviet counterpart. After that, we will be taking a look at the age of space stations, Skylab, Zayut, Mir, and finally the ISS. Then Total Space will proceed to the present where they will be talking about NASA's Artemis program and the Lunar Gateway. Then we will be moving on to the future. Pun intended? By imagining SpaceX's Mars Colony 1 and how this future of humanity on Mars might look like. Then Total Space will air the next episode about the even further future, where humanity will have colonized Titan and created an outpost on Ganymede. And then finally us again where we are going to take a look at humanity's far future among the stars and the inevitable rise of the Terran space empire, or if such a thing would even be possible. So then, that will be the epic collaboration between the Total Space Network and To The Future, and we are really looking forward to it. So let's start by traveling back in time to the beginnings of the space race. The very first steps of humanity venturing forth into the vacuum of space. Humanity's dream of flying to the heavens is as old as humanity itself. 17,000-year-old cave paintings in Lascaux, France, show that humans back then already had a surprisingly precise knowledge of astronomical objects and used star constellations and the movement of the sun, moon, and planets in the sky in order to estimate important dates and events. They were probably looking up into the sky and wondering how it would be up there. The ancient cultures of antiquity had already a really advanced knowledge of astronomy, as for example the finding of the Antiquitera mechanism proves. But despite their knowledge, they were still as far away as ever from actually being able to build machines that would bring them into space. Then thousands of years passed where nothing noteworthy happened to make that dream come true, until technology had advanced far enough by the early 20th century, that thinking about space travel started to gradually shift from the impossible into the realm of possibility. Konstantin Tsiolkovsky, inspired by visionaries such as Jules Verne, published in 1903 his work The Exploration of Cosmic Space by Means of Reaction Devices which is considered as the first serious scientific work on space travel. The famous Tsiolkovsky rocket equation is named after him. Not long after that, Robert Esnault Petier published a lecture on rocket theory and was the first one to do calculations about the energy requirements of interplanetary travel. And he even suggested the use of nuclear-powered engines. But the first big leap came in 1926 when American rocket pioneer Robert Goddard built the first liquid-powered rocket. 
The next big technological leap in rocket history came, as is unfortunately often the case in human history, as the result of war. In 1942, the German engineer Werner von Braun developed the A4 rocket, also known as V2, which was used to devastating effect in World War II. He would later continue his work in the United States as the chief engineer behind the American space program. But now the time came for the first real steps towards sending objects into space. And the brilliant mind behind this development was Sergei Korolev. In the early 50s, the world was already in the middle of the next war. But this one was, compared to World War II, a cold one, where the United States and the Soviet Union were competing against each other in basically all aspects. This time saw the construction of the first intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs, both in the US and the Soviet Union. Quite fascinatingly, based on blueprints of the V-2 rocket. The Soviet R-7 rocket was the world's first true ICBM, a two-stage rocket with a payload capacity of 5.4 metric tons, enough to send Soviet nuclear bombs a distance of 7,000 kilometers. But Sergei Korolev had other ideas for the R-7. He wanted to use the rocket in order to launch a satellite into space. He already first presented this idea to the Communist Party in 1954, but was rejected initially. However, Korolev was later able to influence the party to approve the project by showing them progress which the US had made with their own satellite program. Cold War competition can work wonders. So in 1957, Sputnik 1 was assembled with a record speed in less than one month under the supervision of Korolev and launched into low Earth orbit on October 4, 1957. The satellite was a polished metal sphere, the size of a soccer ball, with four long antennas and batteries that were powering a transmitter. This was the beginning of the space race. The international response to this event was gigantic, leading to the US drastically intensifying their efforts with their own space program in order to catch up with the Soviet Union. Koholyov became a hero, and the party leader Nikita Khrushchev approved the continuation of the newly born Soviet space program due to the resounding success of Sputnik 1. Meanwhile, in the West, the US was trying to catch up. The US military was able to launch the Explorer 1 on February 1, 1958 atop a Juno-1 rocket. Then the National Aeronautics and Space Administration was founded on July 29, 1958. But already before NASA was established, the US Air Force had experimented with the X-15 rocket-powered hypersonic aircraft since 1955. Already by that time, the goal had been to send humans into space as part of the US Air Force's Man in Space Soonest project. But that program was cancelled on August 1, 1958, and replaced by NASA's Project Mercury. Fun fact, Joseph A. Walker actually crossed the Kármán line twice in the X-15, but only as late as 1963. So did Neil Armstrong, who later switched to NASA. But these efforts were too late, because the Soviet Union was back then ahead in the space race. After the giant success of Sputnik 1, Korolev was already eyeing the moon. 
but first with unmanned probes. Luna 2 was the first probe to impact the moon on September 14, 1959. Luna 3 was the first spacecraft to photograph the far side of the moon on October 7, 1959, which gave the Soviets another two firsts. But before it was time to think about manned missions to the moon, manned missions to Earth orbit had to be done. And this is exactly what Sergei Korolev began to work on in 1958 with design studies for the Vostok spacecraft. It was a spherical spacecraft only 2.3 meters in diameter and to be mounted on top of the same line of rockets derived from the R7 ICBM that launched Sputnik 1. On May 15, 1960, a first uncrewed prototype was launched into low Earth orbit which circled the Earth 64 times but failed at re-entry. Still in 1960, Two dogs were launched into orbit, but unfortunately the dogs were killed in an explosion. More dogs were launched and some even survived. It is pretty clear that the Soviet Union didn't really value the life of dogs very highly. But they also didn't value the lives of humans very highly as we know. So a survival ratio of about 50% was good enough for them to decide that the time had come to launch the first human into space on that previously mentioned Vostok spacecraft with a modified R7 rocket. And who would be the lucky guy who had about 50% odds of surviving the trip to space? His name was Yuri Alexeyevich Gagarin, who was launched into orbit on April 12, 1961. And luckily, he even survived without any injuries. He was the first person to feel weightlessness. You feel as if you are suspended. Gagarin wrote about the feeling in his post-flight report. The whole duration of the trip was 1 hour and 48 minutes, and he circled the Earth almost completely. It's also noteworthy to mention that Sergei Koholyov was not satisfied with the design of the Vostok capsule. In fact, he felt absolutely terrible about the inadequate provisions for crew escape on Vostok during the first 20 seconds of a launch. It was only the Soviet leadership that put political victories above the safety of humans, not Koholyov. So we hope you enjoyed this first video of the collaboration with the Total Space Network. We certainly did, right? And we'd like to thank the awesome people from Total Space with whom we worked closely together. These are Rich LB, Miko, Another Space Nut and Kaga. We are really enjoying this collaboration and we are already looking forward to the next time. And don't forget to check out the link to their podcast in the video description below. So then, thanks for watching the JS Space Report. And then I would say, on to the future. Okay, we can say it again. It's not so long. And then I don't have to create some weird links when I edit. <laughs> right. Yes.